Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, as I mentioned, Epiphany is the season of light. And I want to start out this morning by talking about light. Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Let me say that again. Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Well, some of you are wondering what on earth? Others are on to me. I think there are a few out there already who know what I'm talking about. If you're not normally a morning person and haven't caught on yet, first of all, God bless you for being here at church. It's just a bit tougher for those of us who are not morning people, don't have our thinking caps on yet, but still make the effort every Sunday morning to be here. God bless you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you, especially for you late risers, but really for all of us. Let me literally spell this acronym out for you. Then I think we'll all very quickly be on the same page. L, as in light, A, S, E, R. What's it spell? Right, laser. Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation, laser. But who knew? And who uses that fully expanded term anymore? Maybe some of us nerds in God's kingdom, I guess. And probably some very highly intelligent engineers and scientists out there too, I'm sure. But why bring up lasers at all in the first place on this second Sunday after the Epiphany? Because Epiphany, as I mentioned, is the so-called season of light. But besides that, our Old Testament scripture reading from the prophet Isaiah this morning gives us added reason to invoke this modern-day marvel that we commonly call lasers. Does Isaiah prophesying in the 7th century BC actually talk about lasers? No. He talks about something far more powerful and something far more consequential than lasers, as impressive as lasers are. Nevertheless, the comparison is there with lasers, as Isaiah here talks about another light. Exactly where is found in verse 6 of our Old Testament reading, where the Lord God of Israel declares that his servant, his servant about whom this whole oracle of Isaiah here in chapter 49 is given. This coming servant will be a light, there it is, a light for all the Gentile nations in order that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, declares the Lord. First of all, like a laser, any kind of light that can reach around the whole world has got to be a powerful light. A laser is known for its narrow beam that resists the tendency of other kinds of light to diffuse and in effect disappear after shining out only a limited distance. But for example, that little red laser pointer that the college professor uses, that can be aimed at, that, at a sleeping student clear up in the nosebleed section of the lecture hall to demonstrate to the rest of the class just what might happen to them if they too doze off in the middle of the lecture. By the way, don't worry, pastors don't carry lasers pointers. In fact, even a legal laser pointer's beam is still 
clearly visible over two miles away. Two miles away. That's why aiming it at certain people like officers or at airplanes is not only illegal, it can result in both serious civil and criminal charges if it's proven to have been done maliciously. That's why some schools still consider these narrowly focused laser lights contraband. Don't pack your junior hire's lunchbox with a laser pointer. Those junior hires can't be trusted. Well, the gospel, the good news of God's salvation in many nations today is still considered itself contraband. And maybe it's because its light is also considered too narrow. We don't think about that. Nevertheless, that narrow beam with its focus fixed steady on God's servant, Jesus Christ, still somehow reaches lost souls in all those faraway lands. Just look again at these introductory words from this morning's prophecy there in Isaiah 49, where it says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. I hope you're giving attention to the word of the Lord from the prophet this morning, because he's talking about you, I'm happy to report. We are coastlands, are we not? We are peoples from afar, at least from Israel's perspective, right? Check this out. The circumference of planet Earth is over 24,000 miles around. That's a long way around. Last night while I was going over some of my thoughts for this sermon, I was at the very same time, coincidentally, receiving pictures and texts from a friend halfway around the world, right there in the Holy Land, in the same region where Isaiah had given this very prophecy. Now, my friend, who happens to be an airline pilot himself, flew approximately the 12,000 miles, about half the circumference of planet Earth, and was standing in a recently unearthed first-century synagogue in a town called Migdal, which is just on the Nazareth side of the Sea of Galilee. Archaeologists and biblical scholars agree it is the right age and the right place to be a synagogue that Jesus most likely visited numerous times. Amazing. Think about that. My friend was standing on the same ground that this servant prophesied about here by Isaiah centuries early, likely stood. And where, as Isaiah puts it, the Lord made his mouth like a sharp sword, from verse 2 in our text. Isaiah 49, the whole thing is a messianic prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, who did, in fact, have many sharp words for his synagogue audiences of his day. He had to often set them straight, even as his words still sliced their way into his church today. He cuts in with the important reminder to us concerning his true mission. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He wants us to remember that mission. 
Jesus had a laser-like focus concerning his mission. And so many around him missed seeing him in that true light. So he formulated those carefully chosen words to say while on a beeline to Jerusalem to make good on those words, to make good on them on Good Friday, because that's exactly when he gave his life as a ransom for you and for me and for the whole world there on Calvary's Hill. He gave his life for many peoples, all those afar off, to the ends of the earth. The servant served up his life on a cross for us. We, who are gathered here this morning, are among the ransomed. Amen to that. And yet, just like ancient Israel did not listen to Isaiah's prophecy, just as they did not heed the word of the Lord, and neither did Jesus' own people, the Jews of his day, listen to him when he stood in their synagogues and taught them face to face, we, too, must confess that we do not listen so well at times to the word of this servant of the Lord. We, the church, who are his very body, the body of Christ does not always follow the head of the church. In fact, is this not what we already did confess earlier in the service together? Lord our God, we confess that we have failed to appreciate all that you have done for us. We've been content to know that heaven is open to us, often ignoring the thousands who have not yet heard about our Savior. Forgive us. The Lord's words come to us at times like a sharp sword out of his mouth, don't they? When we demonstrate that that's what we need at the moment, that is, when we disobey, when we gravitate towards the fall and fail to serve our neighbor as Jesus serves us. The Lord's words cut us to the heart. Those same words that Isaiah put into the mouth of God's holy servant haunt us now. Quote, I said, I have labored in vain, verse 4. I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity, unquote. During his earthly ministry, Jesus who, let's not forget, is 100% human. He got frustrated at times, even with his own disciples. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? These words of rebuke were spoken to the disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had risen from the dead. The Apostle Paul, a key instrument, of course, in the light of Christ reaching the Gentile nations. Paul also expressed his frustration with the church that he planted right there in Galatia himself. You foolish Galatians, he admonished them, who has bewitched you? When the words that have come out of our mouths have not been acceptable in God's sight, by not sharing his salvation, but rather by being all too willing to selfishly share our own wants and needs with whoever would hear, by serving our own ego, and by promoting darkness rather than light, that's when we need 
the God-breathed word of the Lord to come and correct, rebuke, and encourage us. While a knife can be used to attack someone, it can also, in the hands of a skillful, skillful surgeon, heal. The Lord who is rich in mercy and who disciplines those whom he loves. He is the great physician who wields his double-edged sword. Having already killed us, that is our old self, by uniting us in baptism with Christ's death, God now begins to bring healing, light, and life to the new man who's been united with Christ in his resurrection life. But there are growing pains, aren't there? And the necessary doctor's visits. You know, today, that is part of the modern marvel of the laser beam. Yes, one can weaponize it as an instrument of destruction, but in the right hands of, say, a skilled ophthalmologist, as some of you well know and probably have experienced, the precision-cutting properties of a laser beam can restore sight. It can cauterize veins. Its light can promote healing and restore life to parts of the body heretofore unreachable. The word of the Lord is like that. It combines properties of both a sword and light, like a laser beam. God's word, like a laser beam, penetrates and restores the soul. It searches the thoughts and intents of the heart, exposing those areas of infected by sin, and then it shines the nourishing light and begins to promote healthy growth again, breathing, as it were, life back into decaying matter, and indeed, life straight into completely dead matter. In the Lutheran church, we're fond of calling this double-edged property of God's word law and gospel. The law cuts us open and diagnoses our corruption that we've let fester and grow far too long. Then the gospel comes along and first of all, essentially gives us a new hospital gown, so to speak. It wraps us in garments of salvation. That is Christ's very own robe of perfect righteousness, which says that for Christ's sake, we are hereby of all crimes acquitted and now admitted to the city of Hope Hospital. So let the cleansing blood transfusion begin. This servant doctor, whose own blood cleanses us from all sin, is none other than the Spirit-anointed one whom John the Baptist points to, proclaiming the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Word made flesh. And if he is God's Word made flesh, then it should not come as a surprise to us to see this same two-sided law and gospel on display in him, in the flesh, so to speak. Lo and behold, this is John's great epiphany, not John the Baptist. We talked about his testimony at Jesus' baptism. No, this is Saint John the Apostle, sometimes called John the Revelator, because his was the vision of Christ, or epiphany, recorded for us in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16 says, and he, 
the risen and ascended Jesus, held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword extended out of his mouth. His face shone like the sun, shining at full strength. Far from thinking this was some kind of cool laser light show in heaven, John saw this sight as too dreadful to bear in his sinful flesh. He thought this meant his immediate ruin. Jesus then out of his own mouth gives these words of comfort. Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last, the one who lives. I was dead, but look, now I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Now it's like this when we come to the Lord's table. We're mindful of our own sin that caused his death, but we receive there his body and his blood for the forgiveness of all our sins, just as he promised unto eternal life with him. We do this in remembrance of him until he comes again, St. Paul says, until he comes again. He's coming again. He lives. He's ascended. He's reigning. Forgiveness, life, and salvation get the last word here too. So that's the word we publish and proclaim to the ends of the earth then, to kings and princes and servants, whoever will hear in every nation. And the last word I want to share with you this morning is not what we generally think of as an epiphany verse, but in light of all this light we've been talking about, the blessing fits. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Amen. And now may he who began a good work bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.